Hello and welcome to Who's on the Mat with me, Liz Daffin. Hi everyone, welcome to the podcast today. So with me today is Vicky Hoban-Reed and we're going to chat about writing and music. Um, our paths have crossed quite a few times in yoga classes, wellbeing festivals, and then last time we met was a local wellbeing festival and we just <laughs> we got chatting. I was like, this, this is good fodder for a podcast. So here we are today. We're actually outside, so you might be able to hear the wind a little bit, but it's a gorgeous autumn day. And um, we're just going to have a chat and see where the conversation takes us. But over to Vicky, who I'm going to allow her to introduce herself and just let us know what she's into. Hi, Vicky. Oh, hi, Liz. <laughs> um, thank you for asking me to do this. So I'm, my name's Vicky Hope and Reed, and I do a lot of different things. Um, but among those things, I'm a writer and a writing for well-being facilitator. Um, I'm also a musician and a songwriter, a music teacher, um, and a forest school leader now as well. So what a mixture of things going here, on. No, not far, not far from where I do my sessions. And I like to try and work in ways that mix a lot of those things together. Um, yes, so, so yes, and, and a lot of that involves connecting with nature as well, which is a theme that runs through a lot of the things that I do. Brilliant, thank yeah. you. Well, I don't know where to start because I want to <laughs> chat about all of them. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what's your um, first passion? Oh, that's right. My first passion is music. Um, it's hard. Oh, and writing. Oh, now I'm confused. Um, I would say probably at my sort of real core and running through my whole life is music. But equally, I've always wanted to write from a very young age, from when I wrote my first stories of the, the Rabbit and Frog series oh, wow. when I was quite young. And, and I even before I was... Uh, writing physically on the page, I used to s tell stories um, to myself uh, and to my imaginary friends. So I always want to love to tell stories. And I think there's a lot of overlap between the music and the writing anyway, um, just in terms of that creativity. And I love to write poetry. I've spent a lot of my life trying not to write poetry because I know some a lot of people hate it um, <laughs> quite passionately. Um, but, I don't um, think I've ever met anyone who quite passionately hates poetry. Oh, do you know, I d oh maybe that's just my... I always think that, you know, a lot of people are like... I don't know, I suppose it it's seems quite in a sort of affected thing to do, like, oh, I'm a poet. It always sounds a bit, you know... Um, like no, you're sort of being it. a bit pretentious but, but it just come that's how it comes out mm. and i think the link there is the r the rhythm and the rhyme and the and the musicality of language so that's why I, that's where i sort of see the overlap yeah firstly in the creativity and in it being an outlet a creative outlet um and ob obviously with the songwriting i'm writing lyrics and stuff so i think that's why often when i'm writing um, words rather than music, it comes out quite lyrically. So, mm. yeah. And then the nature has been a sort of a more recent passion that, that's come more into my life through, I suppose, what you'd call middle age. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good old middle age creeping yes. up out <laughs> <Not> of nowhere. <laughs> oh, wonderful. So, do you have a style or is there something that kind of gets you in the mood for writing or do you just find you have bouts of inspiration you go right, I've just got to get a notebook and pen sit down and write and do you write with a notebook and pen or do you kind of like sit down at a computer 
and knock oh, out a few I'm lyrics. Very, I mean, I'm 50 this year um, and I'm very much, so maybe that's my age partly, but I'm very much paper and pen mm. and actually paper and pencil, which I think is to do with being a musician because often when you're making marks on music, you do it in pencil. Yeah. And my mum always had a pencil with her and I think that's where I sort of get that from. I can write on a computer, but I much prefer the process of sitting down with pen and paper or pencil yeah. and paper and just kind of finding the flow. But is there some, do you just find inspiration comes at moments in time yes, for you? I do often find that things come to me when I'm walking, which is why, even though I haven't today, I usually try and have a pad or a, you know, and a pencil with me. Or I use my phone and um, use the voice recorder on the oh, phone, all the, notes, yeah. all the notes, all the notes to sort of... Um, just little, even if it's just little phrases or something that come, comes to mind. Uh, but often it's just like you'll either in the middle of the day or wake up in the night just suddenly with something that I feel that I, that I want to say. Um, so again, I have a lot of notebooks. I'm reasonably chaotic with where I write things. Um, so I just have many, many notebooks so that there's always one near nearby <laughs> yeah i think you have to have a variety of notebooks as well do you find yourself you a bit of a stationary freak oh as yeah, well yeah completely. <laughs> completely. i love i love brand new notebooks yeah i've got loads of notebooks that i bought and i've never written in which is such a shame but then yes it's like, oh, too nice to kind of write that's in. the thing no me too <laughs> i'm like now what are, this notebook has to be used for something special yeah and then i just end up piling and think oh, i need to get a more ordinary notebook instead <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes ridiculous. they're the best ones to write it in too, yeah. actually. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh dear. So yeah. tell us a little bit about your music as well. W did you start to learn music at a young age? I grew up in a house uh, full of music. So Amazing. both my parents are musicians. Um, mostly church music was where uh, sort of the family revolved around that. My dad was a choir master. My mum sang in the church choir. We all sang in the church choir. Um, so we were just constantly, there was music playing or the radio with music on or people playing instruments or we were all singing. Um, my friends used to jokingly call us the Von Hobens because <laughs> <laughs> there were four well, of us yeah. and there was always music. And I think that's the best way um, to nurture your musicality yeah. is to just grow up surrounded by music um, and just absorb it. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I was very lucky in that in nice. that regard. And yeah. do you play a variety of instruments? Or I play um, I play the piano and I teach the piano. Um, that's my my favourite instrument, I suppose. I also s uh, taught myself the ukulele um, over the years, Fair. which I use at my um, the sessions, the music sessions that I do with with little ones yeah. and primary school children. And I'm teaching it at the moment to some primary school classes, and they just love. It's so rewarding because they can instantly you can pick it up really easily, and it's seen a had a bit of a renaissance recently. Yeah, you know, you know something they're a bit cool. They are. Um, so, you know, people like Taylor Swift playing their ukulele and stuff. So, um, so those made. And then when I grew up, when I was growing up, I also played the cello. Unfortunately, I don't play the cello anymore. It's, it's um, it's an inconvenient it space. Yeah, <laughs> very heavy to carry around, especially when I was little. Yeah. Um, but, I started yeah. learning the cello a few years back. Oh, great! And um, yeah, I I loved it. I got up to kind of 
grade four standard. Oh, fantastic. But then I started, work just got really busy and it's That's something you need to practice every single day, you I really think. do. And I, it's yeah. a needy instrument, I think. Because needy, <laughs> needy, did you say? Yeah. It needs a lot of TLC. Yeah. Um, like you say, it needs a lot of space as well. Um, if you break an A string, it's about 25 quid, which yeah. you can get a p whole pack of guitar strings for five pounds. Yes. So I actually traded it in for a guitar, but I haven't got anywhere. <laughs> yeah. I haven't got very far with the guitar it's at all. It's funny that I think certain <laughs> instruments make more sense than others yeah. to people. I have always failed to teach myself the guitar, the six string guitar as opposed to the ukulele. And the ukulele even took a little while for me. It's a really weird. Whereas the cello, I think, because I used to sing alto in the choir, oh, yes. and the cello is a kind of, you know, more like a bass, yeah. Yeah, bass instrument, often playing, you know, the bass line. It, I don't know, it just seemed to sort of make more sense to me. But the, that's why the piano is great, because it's always no. there. You don't have to, obviously, you can't carry it anywhere. No. It's the <laughs> downside. But it's always ready to play. But the thing, I suppose, more than any instrument that's my main instrument is voice so Perfect. more than anything i'm a singer and when i teach i t i always do it as much as i can through singing because it's our our instrument it's part of our body it's linked to you know everything we can we when we sing we're embodying the music we are creating the music within our own body that's the vi you know the what's it, what it's vibrating through mm. um so and it's the best thing to do in terms of learning becoming you know nurture again nurturing that musicality is because you're having to listen adjust you know you're actually making it that the notes with your voice rather than doing it on something that's external yes. to mm. you although a lot of um you know instrumentalists would say that their instrument becomes an extension of them True, you know in the True. way they play but i think everybody has a voice and everybody can sing whether they think they can or not yeah singing's a bit like dancing everyone feels very conspicuous but it's all yeah. something we can do in one form or another we can all make a noise we can all move in yes. a certain way I'm just going to pause here for a mm. moment because there's a massive willow tree in front <laughs> of us. Is this the willow yes. tree that you talked about earlier? Do you want to introduce us to the willow tree? I know you can't see it. <laughs> yes, so unfortunately, it used to have a bench under it, and oh, that's, nice. I'll tell you why that's important in a minute. But it's, we're in the middle of the cemetery. I love this cemetery. In, in, it's the Lower Morden Cemetery near where I live. It's the only willow tree, so it really stands out. And I don't know if the mics will pick up but it just makes most beautiful sound. Mm. So obviously I'm a very auditory sort of person and, and sounds, tuning into sounds. So I love it and I just love, it's just so beautiful. It moves, it's almost like it is dancing. And it's the perfect time of year as well, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. It's full, it's not quite started to turn at all yet. No, it takes a while. It doesn't really um, yeah, change that much. But also I love the bark. It always reminds me of a sort of, I don't know, like a crocodile or something. <laughs> yeah. the bar and if you look up, this is what I love to do with trees, especially with a willow because it hugs you. Because the branches, um, you know, um, slope down. This is a weeping willow. Obviously, there are different kind types of willow. But this one's a weeping willow. So it's got these beautiful, thick branches with, with this very kind of, you know, um, striated, you know, sort of stripy pattern on them. 
and um, then the branches falling down. So you feel like you're in a sort of dome. You know, you feel like you're in a little. It reminds me of tent. Avatar. Avatar. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> it feels like a really safe space as well, yeah. doesn't it? Well, that that leads me onto the bench because I used to sit on this bench. That's another reason why I love this cemetery. When I had long COVID last year, I spent, this was where I was aiming for. I'd, I'd make it to the bench <laughs> and then I'd sit on the bench and rest. And there wow. were a lot of benches in this cemetery, although this one's been taken away. So it was, a, it really was a very safe space. So you, you suffer from long COVID for... It was about a year. Yeah, that's total. a long time. Fingers crossed that, you know, that's, you know, I'm, I'm over it. Did you find that singing helped you get your breath back? Mm, definitely. I think um, I think I had I was doing online sessions and online music, but it was a very creative time. Lockdown before mm. I got COVID, I was writing a lot, a lot of songs and a lot of actual writing. I definitely feel that a lot of the respiratory stuff that a lot of other people had. I think I kind of got through that a bit easier and possibly that was down that was down to the singing. Yeah. It was it, coming out and walking um was was obviously very hard at first. So and I really missed it and it like with all these things that we've all been through with all the loss and the lockdown is that it's it's realizing the things that really do matter to you when when they're taken away from you absolutely or or even you know partly taken away from you so just being able to go oh i'm going to go out for a walk became a really big deal and something i had to plan quite carefully for and working and singing i had to do a session have a day off do another session have a day off and have rest days in between doing things on the plus side, that's when creative writing came back into my life more because one of the things I used to do is be a journalist. So obviously I was doing that kind of writing, but I was trapped, trapped in my room resting and the writing was my connection to what was going on in connection inwards to understanding and coming to terms with where I was at that time in my body but also my connection with the outdoors. So I was writing poems about what I could see outside the window or what I knew was out there. And a lot of metaphors about being able literally to put one foot in front of the other, but also that uncertainty that we've all experienced, yeah. you know, and that stumbling, feeling of stumbling and not knowing where we were going. And is that what led you to the mindful writing as well? Was that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I didn't even really realized that what I was doing in, in at that time was writing for well-being and it's only more recently that I've realized that it's a thing you know that a, a, a phrase that is used in the you know all, uh, in the UK but in other countries too to refer to this therapeutic writing mm. but I think for a lot of us we we use that without thinking at the wellness festival that I saw you at yeah I had a, a constant stream of coming up to talk to me about it um, showing an interest in it and most importantly sharing their stories around how they had found writing to become you know was a friend and there for them at certain times in their life and they um, instinctively started to write mm. 
um, after a bereavement or through physical separation to, you know, a loved one, um, through, you know, them not being nearby in the lockdown. Um, and gosh, so many different, uh, so many different reasons that people had turned to it. Uh, you know, one woman who was pregnant in lockdown and all obviously all the fear around that. Mm. So, so people were, were writing in their own way and maybe even for the first time finding writing. I don't know how, you know, how you write, but, you know, it's such a personal thing. And I think like being a musician, in inverted commas, being a writer can sort of put people off if they just want to write. And that's what I love about writing for well-being, because it's not about going to a writing course and b learning to become a writer, because like we all, we all have a voice and we can all sing and we're all in innately musical. I really feel that we're all innately write writers. Yeah, well, it's we're all taught to write at school, aren't exactly. we? Exactly, so, yeah. it's just a form of communication. Absolutely. But like with music, it takes one teacher to go, you're not singing in tune, out you go, I don't want you in the choir, to, to silence you for the rest of your life with your singing. It can be the same at school if you're dyslexic or you just decided, you know, someone told you you weren't good at English and that, that can be, you know, you, you make that decision that it's not for you. Mm. And like you were mentioning, the keyboard thing, we're actually physically writing less. And although it's fine to use keyboards and obviously some people have to use keyboards if for some physical reason they can't, you know, write, but it's amazing to have that um, or dictation, which I also used to use di the dictation feature when I was too fatigued to write. Because isn't it yeah. funny when you say you kind of um, use something when you're on the go? And I'm, I've heard loads of people do it. And if you have an idea, either when you can't get it out of your head, it's like if you wake up in the middle of the night, have a notebook next to you so you can write yeah. an idea down and then you can go back to sleep. Yes. But also, if you have this amazing idea and you wake up the next morning, you're like, I can't remember what that idea yeah. is. How many yeah. times have we done that? Well, <laughs> definitely. I'm, I'm one of my obsessions is dreams. And yes. I'm just obsessed with, always have been obsessed with dreams. I'm a very vivid dreamer. I remember my dreams Incredible. a lot. Um, and it is a lot of it, um, artists, you know, through history. Just It's just kind of trying to access that, mm. that, that universal wisdom that's trapped yeah. in, our, in that. that, however you, you think, whether it's just your subconscious or whether it's an, another, you know, an other world that is out there, but we are only accessing when we're in that state. A neighbour of mine's an illustrator, and she just shared recently how she often comes up with ideas for little characters in that in-between state between Fantastic. waking yeah. and sleeping. And um, How does she access that then? That's maybe... I think she does. She literally has to drag herself out of bed oh and do a little sketch. Because like you say, how many times have you said, oh, this is a great dream. I'm going to remember this one. Or this is a great idea. Yeah. I'm going to remember this. But but it just goes. You just lose it. Yeah. So I think Flash it's where we're free. Yeah. It's <laughs> where we don't have the inhibitions that we have when we're awake often. Accessing something different. Definitely. And I think this is the value of resting. I try and practice yoga nidra um, when I can, and it's incredible and just how powerful it can be just to have that deep state of rest without actually sleeping. And I kind of almost imagine that's 
perhaps a state you get to if you're in that creative space where you might think of something. The idea is to try and sort of tune out a little bit, but listen yeah. to the guided voice or perhaps it's music or something that you're listening to. But yeah, very powerful. And I think we all need that because it's our brain processing the day, events. And if you ha don't have that time to rest, your brain will just stay to use the expression fizzy, it's one that's yeah. come up recently, is that I you... I like that word, yes. I, I do. Yeah, I think unfortunately we resting is so devalued. Yeah, I think we, a lot of us learned how to do it throughout the pandemic in some Definitely. instances. Yeah. Um, but I think as everyone's kind of got back to normal, it's like we're kind of losing... It's, mm. It doesn't seem to be a priority for a lot of us. No. In fact, I think a lot of the time we're making up for lost time or, yeah. you know, we're under pressure. Um, through uncertainty with work or whatever, everything else that's going on at the moment. Absolutely. And it never feels like there's enough time to do everything, no. is there? No, exactly. But I think it is that saying, I don't know if it's a Buddhist saying, it sounds like it, it, it is, but, you know, if you have... You, everyone should meditate an hour a day unless mm. you're really busy and then you should meditate for three yes. or something yes. like yes. that. But, but I, I think, think that's really true, that when you're busy, that's when you most need to rest. And... I find that it's in the holidays or when I'm on holiday, then that's when I start to have ideas for things because you're giving yourself permission yeah. to have that space to, yeah, your creativity can't, you can't access it. Mm. Looks a J. Is Beautiful it? Beautiful J. Oh, wow. Just flew across. I love them. They're corvids, but they're um, like the crow family. Yeah. Sorry to those yes, who can't. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I just bird watching for a minute. And I, I guess I also, because you touched on the fact that we're walking around a cemetery, we were in a, mm. a park and we found this was a little bit quieter. <laughs> As kids, we used to walk through the cemetery um, to church for various reasons. But when it used to start getting winter and at night time, mm. we used to tell each other ghost stories. Oh, that we'd yeah. Gone through. It was so funny. But now I actually find them such peaceful, beautiful places to be. It's a nice place to come and contemplate. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, it's great for wildlife because it's peaceful, which brings us back to what we were just saying, that we are animals, mm. you know, and animals know the value of resting mm. with hibernation and it's a survival know, just technique. It's, like it's a survival technique. Mm. It's absolutely vital. And preservation of energy um, and all that sort of thing. I love being in cemeteries. I, it's maybe, you know, I spent a lot of time in churches growing up with, with the singing and stuff. So it, it's not something that, freaks me out to be walking around the cemetery but like you the ghost stories definitely we used to go up to a little the site of a sacred spring up on Wimbledon Common uh, Caesar's Caesar's well and tell ghost stories and really <laughs> try to freak each other out yeah other than the ghost stories there was one other time I don't know whether I've ever shared this story before but we walking around as part of um it was a school project for a friend and she was noting the language on gravestones and how it changed over the years. Mm. And we got to maybe more recent time. And I remember one that just stood out to me. And for some reason, I remembered it. Went home and told my mum and my mum's jaw just dropped and went, what? So it was somebody we used to hang out with. No. Oh, that's just freaky. That's <laughs> very freaky. Very freaky. But yeah, beautiful places to be. Yeah, I think it is just, I, I loved walking around here. I will keep coming back to lockdown, sorry. But it's just because there's, there's wide paths and it was just a lot of people don't choose to walk around here. Yeah. And finding those peaceful 
pockets yeah. of nature around us, isn't it? Which I think a lot of us had to do. But I think it just restores your soul as well, doesn't it? Definitely to be yeah, outside. Yeah. Definitely, just with your feet on the feet on the ground, walking forward. Doesn't really matter where you go sometimes. And also, I <laughs> just for silly things like um, thinking process, I always have good conversations when I'm walking. Yes. Like me and my neighbour had amazing chats, and I always feel like the conversation flows a bit better when you on the go. I'm not quite sure what that is. I think it's just the fresh air, there's always something to look at or there's always something well, to think my about. My brother um, does, does walking therapy. Oh. He's a counsellor. And I think he talks a lot about the fact that you're not looking at each other. Yeah. So it's like you're phys- you're walking forward. So it's almost like you're it's carrying your conversation forward with you. <laughs> Um, but you're not sort of looking at each other, so I think it gives you a bit more time. I love going Nordic walking. I yeah, did that for the first there. time last week. Did you? Yeah. With um, Rika. Rika, yes. Yeah, really Amazing. good. Highly recommend it. Oh, I love Nordic walking. And we've commented as a group about how, we, you know, we don't know each other that well. Over the years, you know, we've become Nordic walking friends, but we've shared quite a lot of stuff, even though we only sort of meet each other, you know, for an hour a week. And I think that is it's just weird. It's something to do with being outside and also just not feeling as self-conscious. Yeah. Healthy. I just do think it's something about feeling more connected to everything around you. And as soon as I walk out the door, I, w- I always feel better. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> do you know, in, in yoga, we often talk about this sense of feeling grounded, grounded. but connected yeah. to the sky. And just going for a walk gives yeah, you yeah. that sense. You feel grounded instantly. And whatever problems are kind of knocking on your door at home, actually, if you just get outside and just walk, and maybe even just talk about whatever's on your mind, everything starts to just slow down, mm. calm down, and you feel so much better. It's a great way to start the weekend or end the week. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if I if I don't go out to side for even a day or so, I just start to feel that <laughs> start to climb the walls. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> just, just f- I can just, f- yeah. It's just really important. It's become really important. And uh, when I do outdoor sessions, by the end of it, I just always feel completely different. And hopefully, the people, the children, and everyone, the families who come do as well. It just blow, literally blows the cobwebs away, especially in October. Yes. <laughs> it's quite windy like it is today. And actually, we went out for a walk last night, and it was, it was a really horrible kind of stormy mm. feeling last night. But it felt so good. Yeah. I Just something about kind of being outdoors and, you know, wind in your face. And if it's raining, it's like, oh. Sometimes the automatic response is to hunker down at home yes. and just stay in the warm and yeah. dry but actually it's good for you to get outside and feel the elements and then get no, back to something yes. warm and dry and a yes, hot no, chocolate because exactly, <laughs> then you feel like you deserve exactly. it don't you <laughs> yeah and i think we definitely it's a learned there's so much you see it with the kids that they're fine when it rains until a certain age and it's actually quite young and then they started to go oh dear it's raining we have to stop now yeah and they've learned that already by the age of two you know um, so it's like oh my gosh we've got to whereas where have they got that from this is perfect lead into the forest school so at the forest school i don't know much about it from what i've seen you is it learning about nature and being outdoors or is it literally doing everything outside 
like all year of lessons. It can be quite flexible and it very much depends on your venue and, you know, the age group and everything. But basically, yes, but it, it is very, it's a very important part of it is that you're, there are sort of different aspects to what makes a forest school. And one of them is being in a, in a woodland or an outdoor, a green setting. Mm. So you're trying to do as much as you possibly can outdoors. And I think what is great about it is that then like you're not as in control. You have to go where, you know, you have to shape what you're doing around the weather. Yeah. But rather than thinking, oh, you know, in a negative way, oh, it's raining today, oh, we're going to have to adjust. It's like, amazing, it's raining today. <laughs> There's lots of new opportunities and in, in, uh, things to do in the rain. So, yeah, the outdoor setting is really important and just... The resilience is is something that you really see and confidence mm. and you know the physicality of just getting their hands in the soil or climbing a tree or something i mean there's so many benefits and all of that i mean it's just endless in terms of you know like you know with the yoga you know the the, the whole it's like yoga really for a school because it's very holistic yeah it's very holistic i think they get that spiritual connection to nature so there's all of that, but the other really important aspect of it, which is not always what I do, because I do a kind of middle, middle-ish outdoor learning approach uh, as well, but f for actual forest school is that it is initiated by the participants. So you will create invitations, yeah. you'll set things out, um, you'll, you'll create, a, a, you know, as they'd say, a safe space or a, a space, a suitable space for it. But then, and as a teacher, this is so hard for me to learn. It's, taken a, it's still taking a long time to learn more. You step back and, as I said, you just let the magic happen because they know what to do. Mm. They, they know, know what, what to do when they're left to do it. Um, the, the kids who often maybe don't thrive in a classroom or whatever thrive out outdoors brilliant um, what, what's that change then do you think that helps them kind of just go taking you because you're taking the walls away is that saying of like children can't bounce off the walls because there aren't any walls to bounce off yeah so children innately know how to learn and the main way that they they're, they're, they're experts in learning and they do that through play and we've separated off in our society often we separate play off to be something trivial. Yeah. Um, when actually it is the most, the important thing. If you think about little le leopard cubs mm. or something, they learn all their life skills through play. And as we were saying before, we're animals and we do the same. And if when we step back and trust that the children know what to do, it's just amazing that that transformation because they feel empowered and unable to just be themselves and like we were saying about connecting with something very you know innate in us and they're able to do that we take the rules away and it's not chaos it's actually the opposite yeah. but they sort of make their own rules and they they take control of that and forest school talk about the community of learning so everybody gets involved in um you know looking after each other natural order almost yeah, so, yeah. exactly you li you trust that you'll follow them and go where they lead and if they find something particularly interesting you'll make it available to them again the next week and so many ideas 
actually you know come from them brilliant so from an outsider point of view it can look like well what are you doing then you're just yeah. like letting them do what they want but you are holding it together but from holding a distance a space. yeah rather than holding their hand you're just being there in case they need you and also to just make a few suggestions like oh what are you what are you doing and that looks interesting and just then you can encourage them to sort of maybe develop it or if they're saying oh i don't think i can do that you know so oh, well, well you know you, why don't you just you know you can just give it a go, go and yeah. just see but often the children start to say come with me i'll show you oh, how to do yeah. it and it's a very different that sounds like so yeah. much fun and then everything becomes an adventure and i love saying yeah. you know let's go on an adventure it's something that you're because it you know it might be a bit of a task or laborious task but they always say it's not always about the destination, is it? It's about the no, journey to get there. Exactly. Um, but, uh, you know, they, there's so many things that they get out of it and that we get out of it. So you can have forest school for any group of people. It's not just for children. I think the word school sometimes can be a little bit misleading. Yeah. Um, but it's one that we all recognise, isn't yeah. it? It's kind of universal. Yeah. It's, so it's, it's a place of... Community. When you're talking mm. about school, you're talking more about the community aspect of it, I think. Um, but that it's everybody contributing to that rather than it being I'm the adult I'm the one who's going to sort of tell you how to do it because we know how to do it but we've lost that connection yeah. and if you look at very small children they still have it you can see it they're very free and then they start to lose it. And that, like with yoga, yes. I, <laughs> I have to refer to babies yes. when we're talking, doing yoga. So they make yeah. it look so easy, yet yeah. they don't even know that they're doing no. yoga. I mean, happy baby pose is like perfect exactly. example of that. <laughs> that they have all this, you know, all the yeah. flexibility and whatever. And then, uh, you know, I think we just make a lot of stuff really complicated. We do, we, we do, we do. Not, <laughs> not we overcomplicate things. Yeah. We always overthink things. And yeah. I mean, that's the beauty of music and writing, actually, isn't it? Is that when our mind gets fizzy, that yeah. you can go to music and listen to it, create it, play it, and learn. You know, mm. you, mean you don't have to be a certain age. You have to be a kid. You can be any yeah. age to pick it up. Exactly. And, and with writing, it's like your voice. It's, you know, yeah. it's something we all have. Yeah. And <laughs> a little poem that I, that means a lot to me. It's very, very short that I wrote in lockdown. It was about one line of it. It was sort of finding my voice on the page. Mm. You know, I found my voice again. I f you know, I, f I found it on the page. That once you start writing, it's like when you're saying about that sort of entrainment. Yeah. That thing about being in the flow, which is very similar to what you're saying about the yoga nidra and kind of slowing yourself down and allowing something else to come in and just let letting your hand just be free without that censorship. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in writing for well-being, one very important aspect of it is that you do not have to share what you've written with anybody. It's not like a creative writing class where you're where you're feeding back to each other and getting feedback, which is just dreadful. And I've been on courses <laughs> like that where you're just <laughs> like, I'm, I'm never coming back. back. Yeah. After you had <laughs> feedback, and it just put, it kills you off. It kills off your voice. Yeah, I I, I don't call myself a writer, but in the mm. but in the kind of sense that you described it. Yeah. yeah. That just sitting down and writing, it's quite cathartic and just putting pen to paper. I've I've yeah. written, yeah. I've, it's not something I'd ever share with anyone because, mm -hmm. you know, it's probably quite embarrassing, really. It's just whatever was in my head at the time. But the most cathartic um, writing method I came across was on, um, it was actually a yoga retreat. It was an online one throughout lockdown. Yeah. And it was 
an exercise about just sitting down with a pen and paper and just writing whatever came into your mind. Mm. And the best time to try doing this was in the morning. Yes. So conscious writing. I actually think I've called it unconscious writing a couple of times because I think yeah. sometimes at that time it is, it is almost unconscious because it's just that yeah, brain to like paper we connection before, before. Mm. that's when you can your mind is often the clearest before the other thoughts start to come in julia cameron very famous author who wrote the artist's way, way yeah. which is a great book uh, um for you know just it and nurturing your creativity and it gives you kind of daily sort of things that you can do and a very important part of her sort of method if you like or is the morning pages which is exactly what you said, oh, is the free writing. writing. Yeah. So it's often, sometimes it's referred to as free writing or unconscious writing or, or stream of consciousness. Yeah. You know, that thing where you're not censoring, you're not worrying about whether it makes sense, whether the grammar's right, whether you've spelt it right, and you're almost not in charge. You're just letting it flow out and see where it leads. And a lot of writers actually use that as like a brain dump. Oh. So before they'll start a writing session, yeah. actually writing their novel or their article or whatever they're doing, they'll do free writing. And some, might not, I know, do it on a daily or a regular basis. But often then so amazing things can happen. But so you don't have to even reread it. Lovely. So actually, I wanted to ask you, because you seem to have the best of all aspects that my favorite subjects anyway for school mm. in that you get to teach such grounding things music being outside and just seeing kids reactions to what they do I'm <laughs> I'm being distracted now because I'm just remembering this particular path up to yeah. the cemetery it is actually yeah, a long sure. road, and I do remember it being feeling very long, but yeah. particularly when you're working behind um, yeah, sure. a bagpiper, who actually I think oh, started halfway amazing. up. Yeah, yeah. that was the mo my favourite, that's the wrong word, but that was the most heartfelt moment in, that, in the Queen's funeral, was as yeah. soon as the pipers start, and I, again, I don't know whether it's something ancestral, because I've got Scottish yeah. heritage as well, that you just sort of instantly connect with that and it's just like, oh, you know. It's a sound that goes right through you, isn't it? They are designed, I think, it's like they're, they're designed for this. I mean, who can't hear bagpipes outside? Whereas sometimes when you're inside, people are like, oh my God, bagpipes. You know, a lot of people yeah. can't stand them. But when they're outside, I've seen, when I'm in the park, I can hear them quite regularly at, at few, yeah. at, um, you know, cremations. Um, here and um, it just feels like that's where they're sort of meant to be. Yeah, in the in the outdoors. That's in weddings as well. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, that's true actually. Weddings sure. and, and, and lots and lots of other things, obviously. <laughs> yeah. And played in yeah, you're right. And played in a very joyful way as well. Such a skill though. I just oh, it's yeah. So folk. That's why I think folk music just wipes the floor with um, any other kind of music because it's just. Again, it's connecting to its folk music. I didn't even really think about the word folk in folk music until quite recently. It's for the pe it's for the people. It's for us. Yeah. It's for everybody. It's accessible to everybody. It hasn't got this um, snobbery yeah. 
of like, oh, well, I'm a trained musician and you're not, so therefore I'm somehow better than you, or I know how to read music and you don't, so this makes me more of a musician than you. It's nothing like that. It's They are the most phenomenal musicians who, like we were saying right at the beginning, they've, they've absorbed it through, through, you know, just through that community that um, it's linked to their heritage. There's something so important and vibrant about it and really real. And that's something that's part of a music exam as well, isn't it? It's just the uh, playing by sound, playing by ear. Yeah. So hearing a sound and then being able to translate that into the instrument that you're um, playing. But again, we've sort of like dissected that. Yeah. And say, right, now you're going to do your oral test, or oral training. You know, you're going to do your grade one. And now you're yeah. going to do... But no, <laughs> y you just... If we're free to express ourselves yeah. musically, it is, in, it is in there. And the best way to do that is just to absorb it. Yeah. And in some yeah. ways, I wish I'd learned that specific way because I think there's a lot of value <laughs> in that. Like, I've learned the traditional way. My husband's yeah. kind of taught himself. So he's all the, I guess, the folk route in that sense. Mm. And he's done incredibly well like he just picked up a ukulele one day and the following day it was like oh my god how long have you been playing this like not as in yeah. have you been playing it for hours it was more like it sounds like you've been learning it for years yeah <laughs> and that's incredible. like what we're saying about learning when people when you step back and just let people figure stuff out for themselves yeah i mean obviously that doesn't take away from teachers you yeah, know and, yeah. and people who can guide you i think we've just got to really believe that you know, these things are innately within us. And maybe now, because we're displaced and we're often, we move around so much. Um, and London, you know, obviously is full of people who aren't from London or whose parents weren't from London. You know, we're all from all over. And then we can kind of lose touch with with that sort of feeling of heritage. Yeah. Um, and that tradition and that passing down of, of things, you know, maybe doesn't doesn't happen as much. My first prom, and my only prom, has been <laughs> the folk prom at the Albert Hall. And it ah. was brilliant. Absolutely loved it. And I don't think I ever was ever really into folk music, but there's so much inspiration of folk music that you find everywhere. Yeah. And actually, you probably know a lot more than you think you do. Definitely, yeah. Definitely, that you sort of grown up with and... Like with the kids, a lot of the songs that we'll sing with children, a lot of the melodies that we sing, we might put different words to them, but we don't, uh, without being unaware of where they actually come from. Yeah. And that you'll sometimes sort of know a tune and you don't know why. And again, that sort of varies from culture to culture and makes sense to us. In the same way as like babies, you know, they'll tune in to... The, s the vowel sounds of the language that they hear, like when they're in the womb. So they will tune. That's why, you know, if children grow up bilingual or whatever, or trilingual, you want to try and make sure that they're hearing all those languages um, because they will very quickly tune into the inflection, the rhythm, the vowel sounds of the dominant language that they hear around them, um, which varies massively from place to place. But yeah, no, like you, the folk, I did not grow up, grow up with folk music at all. Having said that I've got Celtic, you know, um, heritage. So I kind of did without realising yeah. it. Um, when, you know, we were over in Ireland visiting my mum's family and stuff. But, my, but we've all kind of ended up 
loving it as we've got older. My brother's a folk musician. Yeah. We've talked about that We have, before. yeah. So that was a really yeah. random connection as well, wasn't yeah. it? And I can't remember how we got onto that. It was show of hands. Yeah. But um, I remember my husband told me he'd just listened to that the week before or he'd seen them at gigs somewhere. I think it was because I was telling you I couldn't come to yoga because oh, I was going to the Abbotsbury Festival. That was it. Because my brother was performing there with show of hands. I think that was it. Amazing. Wonderful. I love all those connections. I'm sorry we're on a really noisy <laughs> road now, aren't we? Well, you know, for those of you listening, you can probably tell that we're in a London borough. There's just the London sounds around. It's not quite central London. We're on the outskirts. Because it'll be interesting, all the noises that we pick up in the background. But Bjork often talks about that, um, about getting that inspiration from all kinds of sounds. But I remember years ago her talking about an album that was very um, homogenic, mm. that was very much inspired by the Icelandic landscape and, and nature on a massive scale, you know, like it is over there with explosions, yeah. you know, volcanoes and glaciers and all, you know, all sorts of things. But she also talks about how, you know, like rock and roll is it's almost like the revving of a car, yeah. you know, a cool 1950s car that music um, and language, you know, language comes from everywhere. It's not just... And language is music there. as well, isn't it? I yeah, mean, that's totally. It's it, like the universal language, I think. That sounded very phil philosophical. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, d I, I think I often say that at the, uh, the, uh, you know, my sessions when I'm talking about how babies, you know, are born innately musical, that it is that universal language that you can often get your first reaction or smile or response from your child if you're, when you're singing them a song yeah. and how they remember them for such a long time. Mm. Um, and that's yeah. really important. But going back to um, kids and all the subjects that you teach, do you have a favourite subject or do you think there's one particular subject that you think oh, I can just see the magic there or is it magic in all of them what do you mean subjects do you mean yeah what's you know is there something that brings a kid out of its shell it's oh, really hard isn't it something about singing is very freeing and very communal mm. um, but also stories so when I you know, obviously writing, you know, is often a lot about stories, but even with the music, you know, you're, you're telling stories through song and it's that oral tradition of the way things change or get passed down or, and everyone seems to connect to a story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I do a lot of sessions where there's a story running through, you know, the theme to sort of win wind things together. There's an art to that as well. Like, it's a talent. But that's also, I think, by telling the story, it helps you remember things as well, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, no, that is part of the reason that I do it, because I um, don't, you know, otherwise I would struggle to keep track of where things are leading. Yeah. But, yeah, I think, I think throughout all cultures, you have stories and you have songs. Mm. And I think, you know, now we have rap, don't we? So well, what's that? You know, there's mm. no melody, but it's still music. And poetry can be, very, you know, so I think they really overlap. Definitely. So they can, they both sort of almost started as a way of expressing ourselves and also passing on those stories. One thing you did mention about the everyone can do it is um, humming. And the wonderful thing about humming, which must be the similar thing to singing, is that humming gives you 
it lowers your blood pressure, it calms you down instantly, it helps you control your breathing, and it releases oxytocin, the love hormone mm. as well, which I think is such a wonderful thing. And particularly with um, mums and babies, you can create that kind of connection. I mean, you get the love yeah. um, hormone anyway as a mum and the baby, but just doing that humming anyway. When I have the youngest babies, we um, used to, I used to definitely do some song, you know, incorporate songs with humming in. And I used to say about how, because I did, when I was at university, did music and did my PhD on, PhD, I've upgraded myself, my dissertation is what I was trying to say, on the physiological effect of music on the body. When I used to say it's like a musical a vibrating chair because you know you can spend a lot of money getting one of those vibrating chairs for a baby but when you hold your baby close to you and hum which like you say is such an in like rocking yeah. is such a, a natural thing that people do without thinking of it then it's that entrainment so what happens with mums and babies or parents and babies or whatever whoever their primary primary carer or carers are is that they start to entrain with each other so it can affect the flow of milk and you know like all sorts of things but they start to actually their rhythms start to come together so it's not just two people getting that entrainment it's they're doing it together Mm. so you're sort of becoming one one being fascinating with the the humming yeah if i ever do in any um I don't often sing in a yoga class, but I might do a, a mantra every now and then. Because mm. it's taken me a long time to feel comfortable yeah. doing it. Because it's not something I've grown up with. I kind of, I like to explore it every now and then. But just the ones I feel safe with. Um, but even making the sound of om, I say om, it's A-U-M. But <laughs> it's like om. A-U-M. Like, yeah. And it starts mm. at the back of the throat as an A, yeah. U, and then closes with an um into that silence yeah. at the end. I'm not going to do it now because walking down a, yeah. a main road. <laughs> I don't mind. I'll do it anywhere. I'm like one of those embarrassing mothers who like, now they're older, please don't burst into song. They used to quite like it when they were little, but not, not now at all, yeah. I found. That's, That's not, not good. good. So anyway, the sound of om, the, the yeah. universal oh. magical sound. Yeah. Not everyone feels comfortable doing a nom you might not have had the time to actually kind of feel comfortable with making mm. that sound you might just feel quite vulnerable especially if you've come out of a, a shavasana you might not feel like you have a voice to be able to project or so i always say just come back to a hum instead because i think that just has the same feeling mm. so yeah that takes us back to the hum the calming no absolutely i did uh talking of courses sound healing course oh brilliant I think it was around the time that you know i think when you were, you obviously you use your sound bowls, don't yeah, you, yeah. in your in your sessions, and talking a lot about those different vowel sounds, the importance of them. And when I did my dissertation, it was um, I was learning about vibroacoustic therapy, which is a s- similar thing, mm-hmm. you know, how different um, tones and pitches, how high and low the tone is, vibrates in different cavities of the body absolutely the body which i'm sure you probably know know but it's different for everyone isn't it yeah well it would be wouldn't it because it's very much depends on your your volume you know the size of you yes um but this leads me on some may what may be a controversial topic some people say a specific sound frequency is 
supposed to be the best sound frequency. But I've always thought this, it depends on the person. You might have a real kind of fingernails down a blackboard with a specific frequency or sound. So you need to find the one that's right for you. Yeah. So I'm very, I'm very funny about people who are prescriptive. I'm not funny with people in that sense. I'm just kind of cautious. Yeah. Because the one thing that yoga always teaches you is, for me anyways, that trusting what feels good for you, what feels yes. right for you today. Yeah. And not doing it because someone else says that it's the right thing to do. No, definitely. And that reminds me again of Forest School because it's not like we're going to now sing this song we're going to now build this thing we're get, you know you have the options you're giving in those invitations but then you're giving that there's freedom how are you feeling today yeah how is that child feeling today like you say maybe that child i found i've got a gathering drum and it's quite a low pitch and most of the children love it Mm. But some really don't. And you, you've got to be very, you know, very Careful, yeah. mindful yeah. of yeah. that. But for some, you know, they're little and that's vibrating in a very different way to how it might vibrate for us. It's interesting um, you mentioned the yeah. drum, actually, because one of the drums I use in the sound bath and I change it. And I always say, look, be mm. open to the sound. And if there's something that doesn't feel comfortable, let me know so I can change it for the future because you never quite know what's going to bring something up for someone. No, absolutely. But there's one, there was a drum and I just remember it and I just, the visual that she gave me afterwards was fascinating like this because it was quite a deep resonance. It's to her, mm. it sounded quite um, ominous. Yes. And I thought, well, that's fascinating. And it just, for me, <laughs> I was like, oh, what's that brought up that we kind Look, of trigger you trigger but yeah. maybe something that we've not actually experienced no. but it's like we almost got something in our dreams that's yes. innate that you kind of think oh yeah that's in that ourselves from? yeah from yeah from somewhere no definitely and um and i'm I not talking about past lives thing this no, is just and no, there's no, a lot no. of research and information about this at the moment that we kind of inherit trauma yes down the line from all sorts of things um, no definitely i mean i've been talking about this i have been you know seeing a, a therapist for um you know a whole host of reasons it's been absolutely fascinating mm. and really useful and talking about that transgenerational anxiety <laughs> and how that can kind of be you know sort of passed down without you even kind of really realizing it but also yeah those associations that you can have with things and you just don't know where someone's at Nice. So if you're bringing people together in a group, like with the writing for well-being, you have to, you can't just say, right, we're going to, because I do use, use writing prompts mm. to yeah. get people sort of, you know, started. And you don't have to follow the writing prompts, but mm. you can't say a childhood memory for me is, or whatever, you know, you've got to oh, be very careful <laughs> I mean, that, about that what could so be a red flag. start with something very kind of bland. Yeah. Um, that can be very widely interpreted, but you've got to be very careful. Um, and it's the same for children. I think we will always make this mistake of like, oh, all children like to be, you know, busy and happy and active. And no, they're, they're people. They're people. They have, we have expectations for children that we would never have for ourselves, our partners, our friends. 
that they have off days sometimes they just want to yeah. be quiet sometimes they've decided they did want to do this thing but now they're realizing it's not yeah it's not what they want to do do you think that's because they're more in tune with their emotions and yeah. feelings and we give them that's credit for why i love being around young children mm. um because they are brutally honest yes. you. Um, sometimes they'll arrive I don't actually get this outdoors I used to get when I was indoors they'd come into the room and they'd turn around and they'd go back out no. like, I want to leave and often looking back it's like the sensory overload sometimes yeah. it's just or oh, they'll wake up they'll be brought to a class and then they'll wake up like, in the middle oh. of a music class. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine sort of having a nap? The horror. And then suddenly waking up at the <laughs> O2 or something. God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, what, what is going on? Where have you brought me? <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah, I mean, that could be traumatic. <laughs> but yeah, definitely, definitely. They tell you the truth. Uh, you get a lot of very good feedback from children. <laughs> I do love hearing um, messages from friends and telling me the characteristics and what um, their children say to them. It's just hilarious. It is just, it's fascinating, isn't it? <laughs> yes. And they're very, very wise a they lot are. of the time. You know, they come out with amazing things. I was teaching ukulele this week to kids who are sort of around nine. And one of them said to me, he said, I just, you know, I just can't get it. I'm more, I'm more of a piano person. <laughs> he's, he's nine, you know, and I think, yeah, fair enough, do you know, so am I. But yeah. here I am teaching ukulele for better or for worse. <laughs> and I just said to him, I get it, I, I really do. So let's just, you know, we'll work it out together. Oh. It took me so long to learn the ukulele, which is meant to be an easy thing. But like you say, sometimes yeah. you click, click with, with an instrument, instrument yeah. and it makes more sense to you. Yeah. Um, so it's just hilarious and they're just... Crack do you have a favourite yeah. thing to teach then? A favourite thing to teach? Do you know, I do, oh, I do like teaching the piano, especially at the moment I'm really enjoying teaching the piano because I, I love one-to-one -one mm. teaching. So having done years of like classroom or group teaching or facilitating, to do one-to-one -one is a very special thing. And you're slowly building up, you know, this, you know, relationship, you know, within the process of learning um, that is is really wonderful. And it's just always so different for every single child and sharing something that you really love, you know, with with somebody else. And like you say, because music can be an extension of ourselves and things can come out, you know, you have to be obviously, again, very aware of aware of that. But I think it's because I love yeah, that one-to-one that -one teaching and also love the piano. And we're talking about sound. I've always loved the way the piano sounds. And it's literally resonated, <laughs> <laughs> it resonated with me. Yeah, so I think that's what I'm loving at the moment. Well, but I also love groups. So I also love bringing groups of different people together because I when I get that tingly moment, that if you do too, is when everyone's just chatting away or just you can see friendships forming yeah and you know that it's that sense of community um and thinking that feeling that you've sort of you've helped sort of facilitate that it's a special that place it's turned today. into something else totally into something else yeah um so yeah the forest school's really exciting as well because it's never the same you you never know you don't know you might have a lesson plan but you never, it could just end up in the bin. <laughs> but that's very liberating. And 
turning that teacher thing on, you, on its head and thinking that you're just learning rather than teaching, it's hard when you're used to teaching. Yeah. I, yeah, I really enjoy that too. I can never give a short answer, I'm sorry. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there should be a short answer anyway. It's always nice to hear the story and the, the thought process behind it too. But with the, with the writing, it's more that that's a kind of a newer idea of kind of being in a room um, writing together. Because writing is quite a solitary thing often, isn't it? That's how mm. we think of it. But I think, like we were talking before about the importance of rest. Yes. The purpose of the writing for well-being is creating that hour or whatever in your week where, you know, as you know, as a yoga teacher, where you know you're actually, like you say, going to be on the mat mm. or going to have that p pen in your hand because it's, it's hard to achieve that. But also there's something quite magical, actually, about lots of people just sitting in a room writing together, knowing that they're all in their li own little world, yeah. writing completely different things that no one, you know, will know what they're writing unless they want to share something. But that you've kind of... It's literally holding the space for them, yeah. isn't it? Uh, holding the space. I was going to say holding the space. I didn't know whether that was, you know, overused, but uh, that's the perfect... But it, but it is. It is just having a space because it's like having a gym membership yeah. and not feeling confident going to the gym on your own. If you go to a class, you know there's a specific time you need to be there, you know you're going to get that focus yeah. that you need, you've got someone guiding you, yeah. and it feels safe. We all need that time to focus. I think sometimes it's hard to be disciplined to kind of go, mm. yeah, do you know what, I'm going to sit down and write today, but and everyone's going to find their own pattern and rhythm. Mm. And you know, you don't have to be in a routine that's fixed. No. You can go with the flow and... Yeah. Yeah. Get me literally go with the flow. <laughs> yeah, and you can still do all that private writing and do yeah. it, you know, but it's just a different way of doing it. Um, and another sort of very uh, overused phrase, I suppose, is about finding your tribe as well. Yeah. That you're, you're, you know, sometimes a lot of these uh, ways of coming together can be quite an, in, an extrovert way of coming together. And I love bringing people together when they love writing and they want to write because... Yeah, it's something, it's a different way, way of get getting together. together. Yeah. And often the groups are very diverse, yeah. you know, on the surface. But you realise that there's this sort of common thread, that th it's something that's brought them all here for really different reasons. Really different reasons. I was just thinking, yeah. actually, so for anyone who's thinking about, you know, how do I start writing and the exercise that you did at the wellness festival and you were saying you gave somebody a topic to go with yeah. could you give someone a topic now and just sort of say what words and advice would you give to someone if they just want to sit down now yeah. spend a couple of minutes practicing mm. well that's a really good interesting one I mean I, th I love the free writing so I love just but for some people that can be terrifying because you don't have a starting point. There are two that I really like. Again, I'm not giving a simple answer. <laughs> um, one is one that I learned from another writer at their um, workshop, was why I want to write. Mm. So actually, like, why do I want actually want to write? Because I think then you see what comes out. Yeah. And even if it's like, I don't know, I don't know what I want to write. I don't know what you might write that 10 times. And then it's like, I want to write because, or what writing means to me. Yeah. Something like, something along those lines can be a good one to, for people to sort of start to think about why they actually are here. And another one I love, um, because of the nature thing, is using treasures. 
So have a, a little bowl of, you know, like at this time of year, you I'll can just have think about the leaves on the floor, leaves, or, yeah. acorns, something like that, or pebbles from the beach, and a selection of them that the group can choose, like which one they sort of feel appeals to them mm. or that they're sort of drawn to and just use that as a starting point it might trigger uh, you know a sort of a memory about a holiday or a, or somewhere they grew up or a, f- a friend or it might just be that they'll literally look right about wh- how it looks yeah um but then it can it can lead you somewhere else so it's always the prompts are never prescriptive if you don't like the prompt, you can just use the time to do whatever you want. Yeah, if there's something going on for you that day and you just feel you need to get it on the page, go for it. And that's a good tip as well about yeah. the um, writing down, e- I don't know what to write, I don't know what to write, because eventually yeah. the tap will turn exactly. and something will start to flow. Exactly. And I think that's the worst thing Like with writers. It's that, oh, it's that empty page. And when I was a journalist, I often used to write the end. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, you'd write the end, you'd write the, the, the beginning and the end and how many bits, or how many paragraphs you thought, because obviously I was working to word counts. Yeah. Then you'd start to fill in the gaps and maybe you'd start in the middle. Yeah. You yeah, know, exactly. it's that thing of a sort of, oh my God, how this amazing first sentence I have to, you know, think up can be so restrictive. Yeah. And sometimes you feel like that must be the core one for a journalist as well to kind of yeah. like draw people into yeah. the article. My dad was a journalist and he'd always say you've got to get them, you know, yeah. how are you going to how are you going to draw them in? But that might not be the first thing that comes. Sometimes you have to start in the middle um, and sort of work your way sideways or, or backwards or <laughs> or whatever. And some writers have the whole thing mapped out and other writers never do. Really famous writers, they just... Right. There's no you know, pardon the pun, right or wrong way mm. of writing. And I think we feel that there is. Like you have to have the perfect writing space, the little hut at the end of the garden or whatever. So that goes back to your forest school teachings mm. as well. It's like you, you find your own creative way to get there. Yeah. And I think when you're learning, you kind of look to other people for inspiration. Definitely. And you might oh, look at how they do yeah. it and then go, oh, yeah, I can see how that works for them. But yeah. actually, I'm going to do it my way. This is how I cook at home. Yeah, I yeah. look at recipes and then go... I like merge three things yeah. together. No, definitely. I feel like I'm bringing a lot of quite heavy stuff in here, but I have an ADHD brain. So for me, a recipe is a nightmare. Following a recipe is a nightmare. So I tried to follow a recipe the other day, very simple one. And I got, I can just feel myself getting flustered. Because mm. like you, how I like to cook, which is not very often, to be quite honest with you, I'm more of an eater. it's not it's a very creative thing isn't it yeah some people that is something they love to do but I love doing what you're doing just kind of merging my my mum used to always follow the recipes and my dad used used to open the fridge and go right what have we got if it's a cake make something definitely I follow it that's quite important I've realized (laughs) over the years with a lot of very disappointed children oh no um, (laughs) which is why now I have an amazing baker in my daughter oh brilliant skipped a generation oh and I am so grateful (laughs) so I can you sit back and enjoy the goods yes yes (laughs) fantastic (laughs) I used to deliver um I still do sometimes it's just if people want them for teachers and nursery staff a music course of like how to how to do music with young children yeah and I used to call it I can't remember what I used to call it but 
talk about the ingredients. Yeah. So imagine all the different things you have to, you're trying to put in, but that it, like you say, it doesn't have to be the same. You're trying to get those ingredients in, but it doesn't ha you don't have to start at the same place. You're never going to finish up with exactly the same thing. Do I think that's a perfect lesson for life in general, that things shouldn't be... Some things do have to be prescriptive, like we're just saying baking, baking. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> has to be a bit of a science and also science has science. to be a bit of a science. Yes. But there are some things that you need that creative space to get through or around a problem. Mm. Like there was a step back, you know, if you've got a problem that you're kind of working with in life and work or anything, you know, don't, don't sit and ruminate on it or look mm. at it go out for a walk, listen to some music, mm. just take a step back because when you kind of come back with fresh eyes, you'll be like, yeah. oh, or you find the solution when you're least expecting In it. In a completely different place. And I know you were saying about, you know, science, you have to be precise or whatever, but the, the disco scientific discoveries, you know, are often accidents. Exactly. They? They're often <laughs> yeah, born yeah. out of things that go wrong. And it's about even when we feel we've failed at something or something's gone horribly wrong. Yeah. And you know, like with the cr all the different crazy things that I've done over the years, there's always something, even though if something didn't work on paper mm. in terms of how society may, th may think that that is a success or not, that you always, there's something that you'll take from it. Yeah. And that even years later, you might think, oh, that's why I needed that piece of information or that life yeah. lesson. Yeah. Because now I understand why it's part of my journey. You know, everyone says, you know, every cloud has a silver lining. Mm. And at times you might not agree with that. But actually, and I've, we've, I've talked about this with a couple of other people on the podcast, mm. is that that's where the light gets in. Yeah. yeah. No, definitely. I, I think that there were a lot, there were a lot of silver linings in what we've been, all been through the last few years. Absolutely. You know, amidst obviously a lot of, you know, terrible stuff as well that you can't you sugarcoat that. But yeah, no, definitely learned an awful lot. Definitely. So just before we finish up, a couple of questions. There's one question I always ask everyone. What, where's your go-to restaurant or favourite dish? Do you have a favourite place to go and treat yourself? Lime and Thyme in Rains Park. Ah. I have been there once. It's lovely in the yeah. daytime, it's lovely in the evening. Brilliant. I love that, yeah. It feels, it's got a real yeah. Mediterranean vibe yeah. to it, hasn't it? Yeah. yeah. I will always meet my friend. When we say, let's go for lunch, we don't need to say where. We know that we're just going to go. Arrange the time and you'll be there. <laughs> yes, exactly. exactly. Fantastic. I do like those sort of familiar things that you sort of feel like is your place that you go. Yeah. So nothing fancy. But I, it's oh, I like that though. But I mean, you can have fancy times and fancy yeah. places. In fact, we've, we've been to a couple of nice places and you know they are once in a lifetime kind of thing but yeah the best places are the ones that are just you know you can go there any day it's my, my favorite meal like and in lockdown i used to get one of their pasta dishes delivered but even better <laughs> halloumi i mean who oh. knew that halloumi and pasta went together oh, i love, love it halloumi. it's so nice my favourite so, thing, I found yeah. there's um, a market store near work at the moment. In fact, I found this whole street, that street food. I'm like, I've got to come oh, back every street day. Street food's amazing. Halloumi and chicken wrap. Yeah. Oh, so I good. I love with street food, you just randomly sort mm. of coming across something. Yeah. Same. My mm. <laughs> food, there's something I can chat about all day. As a writer, from your own personal experience, are there any, do you have a favourite book or a book recommendation well, at the moment, the book that seems to just, yeah. I mean, I love um, Sharon Blackie's books. 
So If Women Rose Rooted was one of those kind of real seminal books for me. So this is non-fiction. It's just about, you know, she, she talks about folklore and Jungian psychology and, you know, before the patriarchy and the role that women have played through folk stories and all that. So, I mean, it's no, just so interesting. this is something that keeps coming up actually at the moment. Mm. And I'm fascinated by this whole history and mm. um, the culture behind women and I need to stop but asking this question because every time I ask it there's always like two or three more books I need to go and well, purchase. there's a new one is <laughs> what I was going to say my recommendation that I'm actually reading at the moment is her new book Haggitude. Ah. So it's um, the uh, strap line is Great line. Um, reclaiming the second half of life mm. and as I'm 50 this year perfect book perfect for timing. me. You know the perimenopause journey that I've been on um, in you know over the last know five years now so it's just perfect timing for me especially reaching a bit of a crossroads and trying to sort of you know now reach out to some new things my children have just moved up to secondary you know it's a new chapter yeah so it's a great book for that and so it's just I love the way she writes perfect good recommendation and from a music point of view do you have a go-to thing that you play or listen to or well, this, I should probably think, you know, be saying something very, you know, sort of m- like a musician thing, shouldn't I? But First thing that comes to your head. OMD. <laughs> OMD. OMD. I'm obsessed <laughs> with OMD. I went to I see them that. in November. I found out that my neighbours used to know them. No. I was stalking them. It all got <laughs> out of hand. When I need any, when I need, you know, to hear something to cheer me up or to whatever, that for me is the thing that that's my happy place perfect awesome oh vicky thank you so much for taking this time to come and chat to me today it's been fascinating i'm sorry we ended up on a very convoluted journey i love it i'll be interested to see how it sounds i hope just Mm. nice to kind of hear the conversation that surrounds around i think it's a nice listen to i hope it is anyway (laughs) i will have a listen but no problem at all i feel like there's so many more questions i haven't yet asked you that i'm sure i'll be like oh gosh i really wish i'd asked that question but are there any final thoughts that you want to share before we head off into the sunset this evening (laughs) oh i don't know just thank you so much for coming uh, for coming for inviting me i mean (laughs) um i think it's just like you were saying earlier just reminds me how wonderful it is to be outdoors and how I think everything comes back to nature. That's yeah. how I think. I think that whole creativity and everything, it's all here. And that it's the, you know, the best inspiration really, I think, is, is to just be connecting with the outdoors. So it was really lovely to do this while walking, even though we ended up on a busier road than intended. <laughs> made us appreciate coming back to nature again. Well, no, exactly. <laughs> and there's still always, no, there were some lovely big willow trees on the yeah, big road yeah. and birds and stuff. So there's always, no, wherever you are, like David Lindo, the urban birder, always talks about, you know, there's nature, there's pockets of nature everywhere. So They yeah. are, and I think that's one of the amazing things about no matter what city you're in, there's always mm. something out there that can kind of draw you away from mm. the business of somewhere. And it being your little patch... See, so this means a lot to me, as I'm sure you have your own little patch, especially after yeah, the pandemic, yeah, yeah. That, y- you, that you can kind of feel a special kind of ownership of and kind of not ownership, but that you're part of exactly connected to. That's the right word. Awesome. Yeah. Lovely. Well, thank you so much, Vicky. And um, if anyone wants to get in touch with you for lessons or just know more about the Forest School or just music in general, because you offer so much, don't mm. you? Where can they go to? That's a really... That's a tr- tricky question. I think the best thing I- to say 
to start with is Instagram. So I do have two strands on Instagram. So I'm Vicky, which is V-I-C-I, Vicky Hoban, V-I-C-I-H-O-B-A-N-R-E-A-D, um, underscore rights. Perfect. And I'll so share those on the writing. details of the podcast yeah. as well. And then Jiggle and Jam is the musical stuff that I do with the children. Um, it's also on Instagram, so that's probably the best place to start. Fantastic. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you very much, Vicky. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Who's on the Mat with me, Liz Daffin. If you'd like to find out more about me, you can head over to my Linktree account. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E forward slash L-I-Z-D-A-F-F-E-N. Fancy coming on the show or you have any suggestions for a topic we can cover, get in touch. I look forward to hearing from you soon. Take care. Bye.